Welcome to Short Course, episode 112, for October 6th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. Please excuse my voice, I'm getting over a cold, which is sort of an unavoidable side effect of having kids in the house, which this is actually the best I've sounded all week, so just in time to record a podcast, I will I will take that. Second, not to bury the lead, but the good news is that the results of the Area 6 runoff election were announced this week, and I, by a narrow margin, did win. The final vote total was 668 votes for me, compared to 609 votes for Kyle Stevens, so only a 59-vote margin, approximately 5% difference separating us. So not not an overwhelming margin, but a win is a win. And so I have been elected to the term that will start January 1st, 2024, and run until December 31st, 2027, so a four-year term. Nothing has really changed immediately. The only things that have really been set into motion effective immediately, really, uh, are the the preparations, just starting to do the investigation and, and very early stages of looking at posting Area 6 and just where it makes sense to do that and and what time of the year and that sort of thing. So uh, that is that is ongoing. I don't have anything to announce because obviously the process has just started, but, but that is happening. And obviously I'll be talking about it here. I'll be posting on social media. I'll be uh, setting up a plan is to, to set up a website where folks can, can get updates uh, about news and, and whatnot related to the area. So that'll be, that'll be coming that that's all starting, um, you know, incorporating a, a new 501c3 nonprofit just for having sort of a clean sheet of, of paper, not inheriting any, any potential issues from the, the current area six LLC. Not that I know that there are any, but just to, to, to have a, to have a, a, a fresh start, so to speak. I have been told that I should be included in the November and December board meetings as a, as an observer, uh, as a, you know, silent guest. Uh, I've requested to be included in the October one as well, but I haven't, I've literally heard nothing back in response to that request. So we'll see what happens with that. As we'll get to later in the episode with what happened in the September board meeting, I think the October one will likely be very controversial. And if they can come up with some reason to keep me out of it, they probably will. So I'm not holding out hope, but we shall see. The bad news in to my way of things is that Yimin Lin did narrowly win his election uh, by a margin of 2,762 to 2,650 votes for Luigi, so about a 112-vote margin. So again, extremely narrow, but he did win. I say it's unfortunate just because the the the, the amount of confusion and further drama that this whole thing will cause, I think, is unfortunate. So as we'll talk about in more detail later, the there was a motion at the September board meeting to waive the RO requirement or to, to, to repeal the bylaw uh, that requires the president and area directors to be an RO to hold office, and that vote failed. So he will either need a vote of the open board to reinstate him as an RO before, before January 1st. If the board does not vote in that way, then per the bylaws on January 1st, he will automatically resign and whoever the, the vice president is will become the interim president until a new special election is held 
for a new president to serve out the remainder of the 2024 to 2027 presidential term. Now, it's not inconceivable that that Yemen could be voted in. Um, the the bylaws change, as, as we'll talk about later, it failed by a six to three vote, which presumably would be enough for a simple majority vote to reinstate him as an RO. However, I, I don't know if all six of those yes votes on the bylaws change would also vote yes on him. So there's a huge amount of ambiguity, but that is the the will of the membership. I I think he should be allowed to serve. As I've said before on this podcast, he he's not he's not my favorite candidate, but he did win the majority of the vote of the of the membership, and he should be allowed to serve the four year term that that he was elected to. Whether that will happen is entirely in the hands of the current board in the the three months between now and the end of the year. Now, while I was talking on the last two weeks about the all the interesting aspects of the Carolina Classic, there was uh, quite a contentious and I think to some degree revealing board meeting. Uh, as most board meetings have been recently lasting for five hours from about 7 p.m. Eastern time to midnight. Uh, another one of these monthly board meetings that went for five hours, but this one was uh, especially full of interesting turns of events and, again, some some fairly unfortunate ones. So I just wanted to go over those in as concise a fashion as I could and try and put them into context because it might not be obvious when reading some of the, the minutes what some of the things mean. Now, I will link the minutes in the, the show notes for this episode. The, they are the minutes for the September 18th, 2023 board meeting. The And there was some some sort of typical board business that went on, but the the sort of high-level stuff, the the stuff that's attention-grabbing, one was the, the business of voting to rename the formal corporation. And this all came about because Joe Rutkowski, one of the people who was kicked out, he, he got a suspension, and I guess he can, I don't know if a suspension means he's automatically reinstated or he can apply to be reinstated as a member. I think a suspension means he's automatically reinstated after a year, but but I, I don't know for sure. I believe he was only re, uh, only suspended for a year, but he has, he has filed a lawsuit against USPSA basically for violating his, his rights as a, as a member and a shareholder of the company. One of the things that came out that was discovered that I guess he figured out and came to light publicly as a part of his filing this lawsuit was that the, the Delaware registration of USPSA as a corporation has been voided since 2018. And from, I, I'm not a corporate lawyer. I haven't done any firsthand research, but from what I have read, it sounds like this is actually the result of three years of delinquency. So this is actually something stretching back to 2015, potentially. So there, there was some filing that should have been made in 2016. And when it wasn't, then they had until they had 2017 and 2018. And it wasn't until the third year that the filing was missed that Delaware voided their corporation. As it happens, re, you know, reviving the, the, the corporation is, is not a big deal. But because somebody else, once this was revealed, somebody else went to the Delaware Secretary of State and registered the old USPSA's corporate name, they are having to reincorporate or to revive the, the corporation under a new name, which basically only means, as I understand it, you're just changing some legal documents, which is not nothing, but it doesn't really change the, the fundamental nature of, of USPSA. What is more alarming is the fact that 
depending on what the action was and when it fell through the cracks, it was somewhere between 2015 and 2016 that whatever the filing was that needed to be done was not done. And so it's been eight years, seven or eight years that we have been out of basic compliance with with corporate law and whatever's been happening at headquarters, they they have not been keeping up with even this 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 basic step. So obviously there there's some management, some longstanding management issues. I mean, this this precedes most of the the current board members, although not all of them. Some some have been on the board since uh, since that time. So that was that was addressed. The the vote was made to approve the the corporate name change. That was that was fairly straightforward. But it, it did the whole fact that that Joe's lawsuit is happening has brought this to light and again just revealed the the the, the basic lack of follow through on something as straightforward as whatever whatever the Delaware Secretary Secretary of State was expecting us to do to, to maintain our corporate status. The second thing that was somewhat eventful or, or contentious was the vote on this bylaws change. So to change the bylaws, it has to be. It has to be mentioned at one meeting, put out to the membership, and then voted on at a subsequent meeting. And when I saw this mentioned a few weeks ago, I, I said on the podcast, yeah, I think this will probably pass. I don't really see it being an issue. And as it turns out, I, I called that one quite wrong. So for context, the before, so when Foley was removed from office in, 20, in August of 2021, the board then went into the process of significantly revising slash rewriting the bylaws. One of the things they did was splitting the president into, you know, from being a full-time position into the full-time managing director and then having this part-time ceremonial president, which was sort of a return to the pre-2016, pre-Mike Foley days when USPSA had a president and an executive director, basically the same idea. You had someone who was the the, the full-time employee just trying to keep the trains running on time. And then you had the president that was in charge of kind of strategic initiatives and growing the sport and all that stuff. So in, in that, that, that was sort of the main crux of that bylaws rewrite. They did a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and one of them was actually raising the threshold for changing a bylaw, which obviously they had, they had to pass the, 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 the current threshold to pass these bylaw changes, raising the threshold from, a two-thirds supermajority to a three-quarters supermajority. So in practice, that means going from six out of nine votes to seven out of nine votes. Ironically, this bylaws change got six out of nine votes, the, the bylaw change to waive the RO procedure. So if that bylaw had not been changed to raise that threshold, then then that would have been met. So it seems like kind of an arcane thing to go from two-thirds to three-quarters. But in this case, that, that recent you know, two years ago bylaw change made the difference between the measure passing and failing. And again, what was being voted on was simply removing the line that said the president and area directors have to have a current valid range officer certification to be on the board. And I've had, you know, when, when I've talked about this before, I've had some people ask, well, don't you think having people know the rules is important? Having, having people have match experience is important. Absolutely. I think those are, I think those are important. And to be honest, just having your RO certification doesn't doesn't tell you that. If you have someone, you, you could have someone who's worked multiple matches but never got certified, who has more experience than someone who's taken the class and never worked a major match. So to me, just whether you've passed the certification is a relatively poor proxy for if you actually have major match experience, if you actually have rules knowledge. To me, the, the voters should absolutely evaluate candidates 
on those criteria, but this this pass fail requirement that you have this certification, which basically does not require you to actually work major matches. I think it would be interesting to have a discussion about whether being a certified RO might actually, you know, have some requirement to to actually volunteer, not just take a class and pass a test, but that's a completely different discussion. But to me, even even what mild benefits the RO requirement had, I think as we've seen with the Yemen debacle, the the costs are too high. The, the 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 ability of even if it's something as simple as just getting busy and forgetting to renew your RO cert. I mean, I I just did mine, but it things happen. I, I could imagine somebody going through you know some kind of phase of life or something, and, and they forget to recertify, and then they they get kicked off the board because they're resigned by default because of this bylaw that says if you don't comply with the terms, you're resigned by default, which when the, that bylaw was added, the only way that you could really be resigned would be to move out of the area that you lived in. Everything else, like being a life member, being a citizen of the US, those were not things that you could stop being. I mean, I guess if somebody renounced their citizenship, they they would they would stop being eligible to be a board member. But but it's, you know, it's it, it the, the the bylaw about automatically being resigned if you no longer meet the the conditions was was a very strong bylaw written when the conditions to be a member were were different. Anyway, to me, I the way I see it, there's really only two reasons to keep this bylaw on the books. One, to keep E-Men out of office, or two, to preserve the power of DNROI to take someone's RO certification to to take them out of office. Those are really the only two reasons to keep it on the books. That's just my opinion. That's how it looks to me. I'm open to having my mind changed, but that's how it looks to me. So with that in mind, I think it's worth noting that the vote to remove this bylaw, the people that voted to remove it were Area 1, Bruce Gary, Area 3, Scott Arnberg, Area 5, Rick Steele, Area 7, Frank Rizzi, Area 8, Russell Fortney, and President Ted Murphy. The three people who voted no were Area 2, Layton, Area 4, Mel Rodero, and Area 6, Bruce Wells. So those three people had enough votes to stop this bylaw change from getting passed. And for whatever reason, they thought this bylaw was important to keep on the books. Do with that what you will. Then the fireworks really started. Now, what the minutes say is that the board goes into executive session, board comes out of executive session, and Scott Arnberg makes a motion seconded by Frank Rizzi to remove Ted as president. Doesn't give any context why, doesn't do anything to justify, you know, which to me, the justification, I think, actually makes it look less bad. But Scott had prepared a motion, which we found out later in, in uh, I'll link to the, the full motion, which has been posted on social media. And after the minutes came out, Scott and Frank went on a uh, an interview with Scott with uh, Joel Park from Training Group Live. Uh, I'll also link to to that discussion. It's over an hour, I think an hour and a half. So it's it's lengthy. I'm trying to condense it down here for for just give you the, the highlights, but I think it's definitely worth reading or worth listening to that. But what Scott explained in the podcast and what he explained in this motion with, over multiple paragraphs was that the the board had unanimously voted to move the fine the the corporation's financial assets to a financial advisor that a would charge them significantly less so basically cost them less money to just hold the money and b spread the money out across multiple accounts so that they were all each each individual account was under the FDIC insurance limit so that if a bank were to fail USPSA wouldn't lose its whole nest egg both of these things were fairly uncontroversial the the board voted unanimously to approve this Scott, as the chairman of the finance committee, 
apparently sent the paperwork to Ted to sign and Ted was refusing to sign it. And in Scott's view, Ted was now failing as president to discharge his fiduciary duty as president to fulfill the duties of his office. And Scott made the motion to remove him on on that basis. Now, again, all that appears in the minutes is Scott made this motion. And what happened when the motion was made is because the president can't chair a meeting where he is also being brought up potentially to, to be removed, he relinquished the chair to the vice president, which is the protocol in this case, area two, Layton. And Layton, as acting chair of the meeting, ruled the motion out of order because it wasn't on the agenda. Now, I am not yet an expert on Robert's rules. I am starting that process because it will be very important to, to being an effective board member. But from what I have seen, not being on on the agenda is not one of the reasons that a motion can be ruled out of order. So that was doing that was not really following parliamentary procedure. But as if that weren't enough, so Scott makes the motion, Frank seconds it, it's ruled out of order. That's the end of that. Ted takes the chair of the meeting back. They go to into executive session for 15 minutes. They come out of executive session and immediately Bruce area six makes a motion seconded by Layton area two to remove Scott as chairman of the finance committee and replace him with area eight, Russell Fortney. Now you might think to yourself, well, that's not on the agenda either. How is that in order? That's, that's not the standard that was used here. It was that that motion was allowed to be voted on, even though it was no more on the agenda than Scott's motion. And obviously the nature of taking someone who is a financial expert in his day job, that is the expertise that he brings to the board and in what looks like direct response to him making this motion to remove the president, removing Scott from his position of you know the the little bit that he has actually been given by the board as being the chairman of the finance committee they can't they didn't at the moment try to remove him from the board entirely although i think that's probably coming or at least some attempt in that direction is probably coming but in the moment they did just snap vote to remove him as chair of the finance committee and i think this again is a is a very instructive vote to to look at the totals so the the vote to remove scott and replace him with russell who as far as i know has no direct sort of financial experience he's probably has an average level of you know just being a, a normal person who doesn't have a job in in finance but he, he's definitely not objectively more qualified than someone like scott and ironically spoiler alert russell voted no on the motion to put him onto the finance committee so he wasn't necessarily in favor of this either, but they they wanted to put someone else in Scott's place. So the yeses on this were Area 1, Bruce Gary, Area 2, Layton, Area 4, Mel Rodero, and Area 6, Bruce Wells. So basically the same three that voted no on the bylaw change plus Area 1. Those were the four yeses. The three noes were Area 5, Rick Steele, Area 7, Frank Rizzi, and Area 8, Russell Fortney, with two abstentions, Area 3, and the president. Now the president votes last. He could have taken he could have voted no and brought it to a tie, which again in my very tentative beginning understanding of Robert's rules would cause the motion to fail. Uh he did not do that. So the motion succeeded by a vote of 
four to three. And Scott was immediately stripped of his, his committee assignment. And then the board devolved into another 30 minutes of executive session and then adjourned with no, no further votes taken. So obviously some pretty eventful happenings at that board meeting. What I think is possibly more concerning is that since then, Practical Shooting Insights has been publishing some more leaked emails, including one in particular from Leighton to Frank that looks to be, it looks like it is basically making a a number of accusations about acting in bad faith and trying to harm the organization, which to me looks like they may be trying to build the case in the waning months of the of the year to try and remove either Frank or Scott or both from the board. Now, what is interesting is the bylaw 77, which pertains to removing a member from the board, says that, and it seems like a pretty high standard, it says that a three-fourths majority is required to remove a, a member from the board. And the bylaws clearly state that the member being voted on should withdraw from the meeting before the vote is taken which means you don't get to vote on you don't get to be one of the no votes on your own removal. And so once you are gone, there are eight votes remaining. And so there need to be six yes votes to remove you, which means with you out of the room, you need three people to make it a, a a three to five vote. You need three people willing to vote no on removing you in order to stay. So as a board member, you basically need three people other than yourself who you know will vote no on any motion to remove you to feel confident that you cannot be removed if a 7-7 vote is called against you. So again, but by the it seems like a pretty high bar to need a, a three-quarters vote in the affirmative to remove someone, but the fact that someone doesn't get to be the no vote, be one of the no votes against their own removal actually tilts things quite significantly. So is it is it possible that we could see a 7-7 vote in one of to to remove Frank or Scott, you know, based on some of these charges that are being lobbed around about, you know, maliciously trying to make motions or having meetings outside, you know, using outside counsel, drafting motions and having them prepared and, you know, wanting them entered into them. I mean, all this all this stuff that's being thrown around, it's it's gotten pretty heated and I think, I mean, we'll see, but I, I think the fact that at the very least, they probably know that I would vote the opposite of the way the current area six director voted in, in most of these votes that, that swings things. And so are they going to try and do things before the end of the year? We'll see. Will me talking about this on the podcast basically damage my chances of actually getting invited to be an observer in, in any of these meetings? Maybe. I mean, I, I am only reporting on things that are open knowledge. I have no confidential information. These are all things that are in the minutes or otherwise public information that has been leaked and is publicly available to anyone that wants to go looking for it. And I would have to be preposterously stupid to come on this podcast in a later episode and talk about something that wasn't public and that I only would have had through access to being on a, on a board meeting. So I have no plans to do that. I have every plan to stay on the board, but if even just talking about 
information that's available to everyone and trying to condense it into a form where people can be informed in a, in a brief 25 minute chunk like this is enough to raise the ire of the board, then I, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm just trying to take what I know, condense it down, give it to you, the members, and let you decide what to do with it. And that's, that's the best I can do. So like I said, I'll have links to all this information that, that's out there. You can look for yourself. You can see if I'm blowing things out of proportion or exaggerating. Uh, you can read Scott's motion for yourself. You can hear it in his own words why he brought the motion. Uh, you know, don't, don't just take my word for it, but hopefully if all you have is 25, 30 minutes a week to, to, to stay up to date on some of these things, hopefully this has been a concise summary of, of what you need to know and, and giving you some context for some of the discussions that you're probably seeing online. So that wraps up this episode of short course. My email is Ben at Talk to you next time.